who would you rather have president, uh, Joe Biden or Vladimir Putin? Oh, Putin. Definitely. And, and, wh and why is that? Um, I believe he's been given a tough... Uh, since, since World War II, uh, Russia's been the bad guy. When in actuality, the Nazis left Germany and they ended up going to the Ukraine, coming in here. George Bush was, was actually... Thank you. George Bush was actually a Nazi. Listen, living, listening to Synchronon. Sick and wrong. Yes, you listen to the Sick and Wrong. The Sick and Wrong, the world source for anti-social commentary. God, what a bunch of scumbags. Good evening. Welcome to Sick and Wrong, the world source for anti-social commentary. I'm your host, E. Simon. Hello, I am the other host, Kate Rambo. Hiya. Okay, Rambo, I had to go to a wedding last night. You say that like there was a gun to your head, have to go to a wedding. I fucking hate weddings. I just yeah. hate them. I just, I do not enjoy weddings. I know, you know, and I seldom get invited to one. I can't, other than the wedding that we had, <laughs> I can't really think of a wedding that I went to in the past five years. I just think there's a lot of palaver and bullshit to a wedding, and unless it's for a super cool couple, I just say no nowadays. But I say no to 99.9% .9 of things anyways. Yeah, but some people love weddings. Like, I was talking to uh, I was talking to one of Joe Kelly's friends last week when we were at the Rainbow. Um, we chat about this on the second show, actually. Uh, but I was chatting with the guy, and I was like, yeah, I got to go to a fucking wedding. He's like, dude, weddings. My favorite. I love weddings. Love them. And I was like, Why? Free drinks. I'm like, doesn't that doesn't warrant going to a wedding? That doesn't, it, it doesn't uh, compensate going. You for a still wedding. have to pay for your free drinks because you have to give a present to the bride and groom. I actually prefer going to wakes because most wakes are free drinks, free food, and it's just lots of people telling cool stories about a dead person. And you don't have to I give a that. dead person. You don't have to give gift. a fucking gift because they're maybe dead. Bring you just flowers. maybe have to give them a card and write boo hoo. I'm really sorry. You could bring flowers or something, but... Nah, um, maybe. Yeah, I just... I don't like weddings. I don't like going there. I don't like getting dressed up in a suit. I had to wear a fucking you, suit. I haven't done that in a long time. Did you wear a suit? I wouldn't have put... You didn't have to wear a suit. You could have just worn a shirt and nice trousers. I actually could have just worn a, a shirt and nice trousers because not everyone was in a suit. It was definitely, like, semi-formal. Um, but that's the other thing too. It's like, sure. I like going to a wedding. I guess I, I can tolerate going to a wedding when I can get fucking shit faced for free and then leave. But this was in Long Beach. So I had to drive 45 minutes back. Not getting it's wasted. Drive I had like Long two Beach. drinks. Yeah. It's, it took me, especially cause it was on a Friday night. So getting out of work, I tried to get out a little early, like around four. It took me an hour and 40 minutes to get to Long Beach. Oh, boo-hoo, this is your L.A. problems, living in a cool-ass city, are you, where you have to drive that long because everyone cool lives there. Get over it. But, I mean, it fucking sucks. It's like, why? I don't know. I don't know why you do a wedding on Friday night. Um, maybe it's just easier. It's maybe, or maybe it's, it's cheaper. cheaper. I can understand that. I mean, they're on a budget, so it's like I could see. And plus, this was a large wedding. It's like way bigger than uh, any wedding I would I, for, that I could do. But she, I think oh. they both have a lot of relatives. Yeah, I, I capped our wedding. I think was there like 14 people at ours. And even after that, I was like, this is getting out of hand now. There's yeah, too many when, people coming. When or if we do a Vegas wedding, there still won't uh, be more wackily, than... Wackily, 
yes, wackily, we will do a Vegas wedding, but I am having no part in planning that. I've already told you, your sister is going to have complete control because I can't handle it. If we do a Vegas wedding. <laughs> yes, wackily, we're doing a Vegas wedding. Uh, yeah, wackily doesn't believe it's going to happen. But there still won't be more than like 30 people there. Do you think maybe... Maybe forty. That's I mean, about that's it. all your your people. It's all your people who'll be. I don't even know that, that many people. A couple people. of my people will come over, but it, it's your people. And then you got to deal with relatives. Like I don't have that many relatives, so that's kind of a non-issue for me. But I mean, last night, Same. I mean, both sides. A lot of old people. It's like you know, you you got your, uh, you know, your your cousin with cerebral palsy, and then you have like the kids, <laughs> and just I mean, it's just like it's a big family thing. And that's what weddings are. And so anyway, when I get down there, it took me almost, what, an hour and 40 minutes. And then I, I pull up to the venue, and it's just like, where's fucking parking? So then I drove around for another 25, 30 minutes to try to find a fucking parking spot. And I finally find one, walk up to the venue, and there's a little sign saying, oh, parking's around the corner in this, like, church oh, parking lot. I'm like, fuck. Oh, I thought they would have said, yeah, valet parking, which I absolutely refuse to pay for. I will I'm, drive for 200 hours done, before I I would have done that at that point because I drove around for 30 minutes just cursing at the gods. Um, it's worth it. But, yes, yeah, so I, I almost missed dinner. I missed everything else, and I almost missed dinner. And so, you know, it was, it was a weird wedding, actually, because I didn't know anyone there other than the bride and the groom. Yeah, sometimes it is strange. I've been to a wedding like that before. One of my cousins got married years ago. And apart from, like, a, a few of my family members there, I knew no one. I didn't even, if it was a family member I knew or something, I would, it would have been fine. And you, you know, they invited you, but obviously you couldn't go. No, um, I'm in England, mate. Yeah, I mean, and plus, they knew you were in town. They're like, oh, because he contacted me. He's like, oh, hey, if uh, Kate's in town, you know, bring her. I was like, ah, she's leaving like a couple weeks shy of, of your wedding. So I just kind of went by myself. So I don't know anybody there. And I mean, I used to work with uh, the groom at my previous job. He's a great guy. His wife's super cool. And they're a great match. I, I guarantee within a year, they're squeezing out puppies. For sure. Yeah, she'll be pooped of vinegar. Oh, for sure. But he's, you know, it's weird. He's sober. He's been sober for a while. He's one of those guys that probably should be sober. Um, right. Although we did have a lot of fun when he was drinking. But uh, so he drinks non-alcoholic beer. And so there was a full bar at the wedding. I mean, there was like a full bar there. But it had non-alcoholic Heineken, Guinness, and Beck's. I feel that um, all the Irish people are dying now. Non-alcoholic Guinness, what's the point? I just don't get the... This non-alcoholic booze thing is such a big thing over here. Why? But Why? It's, it's just, just like, don't drink. But it's just empty calories. Completely. Like, I mean, I, I, I was, like, thinking about it. I'm like, dude, so I understand, like, I mean, I guess... I mean, maybe if it was Miller Lite and it tastes good, if you like the taste of beer. But, I mean, you're just basically drinking calories for no reason. There's no effect. I would just have like um, a bit know. of shandy or something. Just get a can of bit of shandy. I mean, at that point, I would just drink a soda water or something. And just who cares? <laughs> I mean, it's I, essentially I don't a bit know. of shandy, mate. Yeah, why not? It's a cocktail. But there's a lot of dancing at this wedding. I would say did you dance. I did not dance. I was nearly drunk enough to get on the dance floor. Did you do that Jew dance where you went and picked the bride up on the uh, chair and held her aloft? That's a Jew dance. I guess I would have if they were Jewish. No, it's like she's Mexican and he's like Catholic or something. Yeah, I think actually they're, no, they're both the Catholic. Jews. They're both Catholics. Um, no, I was definitely the only Jew there, I'm sure. 
Good. Um, Represent. But no, I mean, there there was no like Hava Nagila or anything like that. But I mean, they, you know, there, there's a lot of dancing. They did they did the cake cutting, but it was weird. Like no one got any cake. At those types of weddings, what you have to do is you have to go over to where the cake was cut and you just take yourself a slice. They're not going to do the thing where they, they pass it out. You have to go up and be fierce about it. Every wedding I go to, I'm an old lady. I love the fruit cake. I will peel that marzipan off and I will eat that fruit. <laughs> I See, I don't even like cake. I mean, I guess I would have tried the frosting. So I didn't really give a shit, but I thought it was weird. I'm like, don't they usually give out cake? But I talked to my sister and my sister's like, no one does that anymore. What are we gonna have another flipper cake at our Vegas wedding that's happening wackily? I kind of want to get like an actual cake formed into your flipper, into like, my flipper, <laughs> not that would be, just with a the photo. black toenail, would be amazing. Yeah, that'd be great. Um, and then they did the customary dances, like you know, like the wife or the with the, the couple dance. And the, the what was their song they the danced to? Oh, god, I don't know. I couldn't, I didn't, re- I didn't recognize it. It wasn't yeah. a song that I knew. She probably picked it. It wasn't a Danzig song like I was. It, it wasn't a Danzig song. But the rest of the time, I mean, people were done eating like around seven-ish. It was like three and a half hours of straight dancing. They didn't do any ceremonial obligations like toasts or speeches, just all dancing. That's cool. You know, and the, the music, I got I to say, for the most part, the music was good, though they did play some of the wedding. It kind of gave me the PTSD as a wedding DJ to hear those songs again. That's another reason why I hate weddings is because you, it's it's almost inevitable you're going to hear Twist and I know Shout by the Beatles. You're going to hear it. I would like it. to say the, the KLF with Tammy Wynette should be obligatory at every wedding. You hear uh, Shout by the Isley Brothers. You know that one? Uh, I hate the Lulu version of that. Absolutely hate that song. Hate it. Um, I didn't hear Sweet Caroline, thank you. I did not hear... Uh, the chicken dance, thankfully. I actually, as a DJ, I remember when uh, I was talking to couples, I'm like, I'm not playing that. You can go find another DJ. Why would anyone ever request the chicken dance? Because people are corny. You know, they want to dance British, like Macarena and shit. British weddings definitely have to have Cotton Eye Joe. Has oh, to be a, God, that's a, like a racist played. song. No wonder you're playing it's that. It's a good song. And Wickfield Saturday racist. Night has to also be at every British wedding. He, you know, uh, the groom is a big fan of Yacht Rock, so they did get some Steely Dan, some Michael McDonald. That was all right. right. Christopher Cross. Well, Hollow Notes, Manita. Didn't hear any Hollow Notes. Maybe they did. I, I don't know if I, I heard it. I was kind of mostly one of those things where it's like as soon as I hear Twist and Shout, like I'm in the other room trying to get far away from the speakers. As soon as they play Rock Around the Clock, I am in my car and I'm just going home. Oh, God, no. I hate that song. Um, but yeah, so a lot of people being that I was there by myself and when I got there, like I had to like sit at a table with some randoms, a lot of people, you're going to say I had to sit at a table by myself, the lonely man just eating by myself because everyone's done. Um, no, but like I said, a lot of people were just like, so how do you know the brand groom, you know? And, uh, you know, I was like, I'd be like, oh, you know, I worked with him or whatever. But this one really drunk guy, he was there with his girlfriend or wife or something, must have asked me that probably 10 times. Like he would see me and be like, oh, how do you know, you know, the bridegroom? And I'm like, I, I already answered this, but I'll answer it again. You know, I think a lot of people might have thought I crashed the wedding. Yeah, they could have been like, what are you doing here? What's this Jew doing here? This lonely man. This this lonely man in the corner. This golem (laughs) hunched over. Um, But I was chatting with a drunk guy and his wife. And I had mentioned that, you know, 
my wife had just visited LA, but she currently lives in the UK, but we're in the process of getting a green card and all that. And, and, uh, he was like, Oh, how'd you meet? And I said that we met, you know, through the podcraft. I was like, you know, she's a fan of the show and, and messaged me. And then we just, you know, you know, it all kind of spiraled from there. Um, then he asked me about like the podcast because as soon as you say podcast, people are usually like, oh, what's the podcast about? And so yes. I explained to him, I was like, oh, you know, it's about like kind of true crime. We do other, you know, varied topics that, that, that I'm interested in. You know, and shit like, stories. Yeah, shit stories. You know, uh, this week I was like, you know, we plan to chat about the story of uh, mad scientist Dr. John Lilly, who, um, you know, gave dolphins LSD, tried to teach them English and had a lab assistant you know, who would occasionally jerk them off. And he thought that was like the funniest thing I've ever, I mean, I think he put, tried to put the, like look it up on, he was too drunk to do it, but I think he was trying to look it up on like uh, the uh, the app for the, for the podcast app and try to find it. And he just was laughing. And so, you know, the, the conversation occurred about 15 minutes or so after I first arrived, you know, when I was eating. And then for the next two and a half, three hours, the drunk guy would find me talking to someone and just kind of come up behind me and be like, did you tell her? And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, did you tell it and tell him about the, you know, the dolphins. Dolphin did. Yeah. At one point he was calling me. He was like, Hey dolphin. And I was like, (laughs) and we only did that a couple of times, but I was just like, I think he was just, I don't think he was calling me dolphins. I think he was just saying dolphin because we had this Because when he saw you, his immediate thought was dolphin hand job. We shared an inside joke, and I think he thought it was really funny. And whatever, he was drunk. I'm like, and he'd be like, "Dolphin," and like wink, and I'd be like, <laughs> you know, I'd give him a thumbs up. But it was it was awkward because I mean, he'd come over, and he definitely didn't know my name, and he'd come over and be like, "Do you tell him?" And then the people are talking to him, "What do What do you mean?" And he's like, "He does a podcast about dolphin hand jobs," and I was just like, I, "Okay, that's one component." Of, of the podcast. I don't, it's not all always about dolphin. It, it is occasionally about dolphin hand jobs. You if know? I was you, you could, you could have totally <laughs> twisted it and been like, yes, my wife is a dolphin. She's currently uh, living over in England, but I'm planning to ship her over by seaplane and she will be living here soon. My dolphin wife. But the thing is, that was funny about the guy is it, it was like, I could be talking to the groom's grandmother and he would come over and be like, did you tell her? Did you tell about dolphin. the dolphins? And I was just like, ah, dude, you know, I must have told probably 20 people about dolphin hand jobs last night. Probably at least 20 people. And I mean, now you're going to tell at least it, 20 people more. <laughs> well, if you think about it, it's kind of like guerrilla marketing for Sick and Wrong, you know, and attracting new listeners, working hard. Um, not sh- sure really if it worked because I, th- I think ultimately people thought I was a weird guy after that. I mean, <laughs> you don't say. <laughs> Well, that, How that's... often do you hear the words <laughs> dolphin and handjob in a sentence in your lifetime? Not often. Well, that's the thing. It's not like I give dolphin handjobs or even yeah, watch, right. Or even watch videos of dolphins getting handjobs. Yeah, Though, right. Well, I probably would for science, not for pleasure. I'm not like you. <laughs> I'm not like you. I'm not watching that for pleasure. But anyway, regardless, I, I just remember at one point I was just kind of standing there and like I don't know, Twist and Shout was playing, and I was just like. I'm going to slip out of this wedding. So I sort of like went out the back. Yeah, like dolphin handjob guy. Right. You sort of slipped out an emergency exit. When you slipped out the wedding, (laughs) did you jump through a couple of hoops and catch a fish in a dramatic fashion? (laughs) 
No, I, I just kind of slipped out the back door unnoticed. I oh, hi. Drove home That's in my Prius said. with a failing battery. That kind of sucked. It was kind of scary, actually. <laughs> Almost died. And that's the thing. Like that thing, uh, you know, with the headlights on the highway, it's not a good combination for the. Did Prius. you listen to the Echo the Dolphin theme as you uh, drove home? I didn't, but funny you should mention that because that, that video game is based on the guy who we're going to talk about. I'm definitely going to have thoughts about this video game. It's a big part of my childhood. As for many people of my generation, it's a big part. Oh, of yeah. No, I played lives. it too. I love that game, actually. So we're going to talk about a, uh, a mad scientist here named Dr. John Lilly who administered LSD to dolphins, attempted <laughs> to communicate with them, and did employ a lab assistant who occasionally gave a dolphin hand relief. This is the most 1960s story I've never heard. We're going to get to that in just one minute, but first here's a word about our Patreon page. <laughs> Hey, Sick and Wrong listeners, if you're not currently a Sick and Wrong patron, you might be missing out on special moments like this one. So before you've actually penetrated her with your Johnson, you're going to just rub the tip, the head, the glands of your shaft around her outer labia and over her clitoris. And you're just going to tease her by saying things like, oh, I don't even know if I should even put it in today. I don't even know if you just, I don't even know if you deserve <laughs> Put it in today? Like what? I'm today. a fucking microwave. Just up like that and then... Wait, wait, wait. So you're supposed to rub your dick up and down her pussy and on her club be like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to put this in. I don't know. Today. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe if yeah. you play your cards right, Missy, you might get this <laughs> cock inside of you, Okay. But for now, I'm just going to rub it on the outside, all right? Oh, my God, this guy. <laughs> How annoyed would you be? I'd just be like, put it in today. I'd be like, oh, well, give me, shoot me an email when you're ready to put it in. <laughs> for only $5 a month, you can enjoy these special moments. A bonus news story, extra phone calls, and an hour's worth of outtakes every week at patreon.com slash sickandwrong. Sign up today. Support the show. And keep it sick and wrong. But don't you ever think So by definition, you could consider Dr. John Lilly a mad scientist. I mean, this guy invented the world's first sensory deprivation tank, called an isolation tank. Um, but he almost drowned in it while off <laughs> while high off his tits on psychedelics. He also pioneered the field of dolphin communication. And he helped enact the Marine Mammal Protection Act of 1972. Uh, but his lab's unorthodox experiments, such as jerking off dolphins to completion and injecting them with LSD, ultimately discredited him and the field uh, for decades. Um, but, I do disagree you know, with the uh, injecting them with LSD, but did anybody ask the dolphins if they minded being wanked off? Because dolphins are very sexual animals. I'm pretty sure that they didn't give a shit about being wanked off. No, I, I think the dolphin actually enjoyed it. Yeah, I think so I would too. say. Um, but after a promising start to a career that's on make contributions to the field of biophysics, neurophysiology, electronics, computer science, and neuroanatomy, uh, Lily, by the 1970s, in the late 1970s was on science's radical fringe. Like he couldn't get government grants anymore. Uh, I don't even think he could be published in academic journals at that time. Um, but I mean, the guy spent, you know, the rest of his days in his 
sensory deprivation tanks trying to communicate with aliens. I mean, he's uh, kind of a brilliant scientist. I mean, you, I would put him up there with, with Timothy Leary and other psychonauts like Terrence McKenna, Robert yeah, Anton it, Wilson, people like that. It's got definitely got shades of all of this. I like it. So John Lilly was born to a wealthy family, January 6, 1915, in St. Paul, Minnesota. His father was the president of the First National Bank, and his mother, uh, her family owned a, uh, the, the, the largest stockyards in uh, St. Paul. Um, at an early age, he showed a, uh, an interest in science. Um, by the age of 13, he was already like a, an avid chemistry hobbyist. Um, he had like a whole makeshift basement laboratory with chemicals. Um, this is cool uh, Capricorn energy. <laughs> yeah, I guess he is a Capricorn. Uh, students, his fellow students over at his uh, Catholic grade school called him Einstein Jr. Um, he had a habit of building bombs from household chemicals and detonating them in the wilderness in the back of his family home. All right, Eric Harris. <laughs> Calm it down a bit. When you I think get he's a little bit more intelligent than Eric Harris. Uh, despite his father's wishes for him to become a banker, he chose to study physics at Caltech in Pasadena, and he graduated in 1938. He then went on to study uh, biology at Dartmouth, and then he eventually earned a degree in medicine from the University of Pennsylvania in 1942. Very intelligent man. Very accomplished. He's a clever guy. Cleverer than me. He became a doctor of neurophysiology, a licensed psychotherapist, and an inventor of uh, numerous medical instruments, some that are still being used today. Uh, one of uh, a device that he, he invented uh, called the Bavitron um, was used to become, uh, was used to measure and record multiple bioelectrical impulses across the brain surface. Uh, he also invented a technique that enabled scientists to take brainwave recordings from the cortex of, an, of uh, unanesthetized animals, which would actually, this device played into his research um, later on with dolphins. So right around like World War II um, in the 40s, he invented instruments for measuring gas pressure for jet pilots. Um, but he tested all these instruments on himself first, which is weird. Like it was just like, he had a lifelong habit of self-experimentation. Um, he used to call his body. He's like, my body is a crash test dummy, which was actually quite alarming to a lot of his peers. But, I bet it was. Because isn't you know, it like kind of like the first Hippocratic Oath is like, well, it's not the first one, but isn't it a Hippocratic Oath that you shouldn't be diagnosing yourself or testing on yourself? Well, I mean, I think, yeah, I, knew, I think there was just part of... Uh, his type of experimentation. I think back then, though, like they were testing what on dogs and like chimpanzees and shit. I think he just preferred to yeah. test on himself than animal subjects. Um, he remained at a University of Pennsylvania after his degree, and he started studying psychoanalysis under Robert Walder, who studied with Anna Freud in Vienna. But he was ultimately more drawn to biophysics, which offered more satisfying concepts to explain the brain's mysteries. So 1953... He started studying neurophysiology with the U.S. Public Health Service Commission Officers Corps. And so this was in uh, the, the National Institutes of Health in Bethesda, Maryland. And so the goal here was to isolate a brain from external stimulation. And it was there that he created the first isolation tank, the sensory deprivation tank, which was a dark soundproof tank of warm salt water 
in which subjects could flow for long periods of just complete and utter sensory isolation. I've you always know, wanted to go in one of them. You, but that's the thing. You know, people might know this from Joe Rogan, who uh, talks about it all the time. What does he do then? I think he does it in, um, I think he does it in Santa Monica. There's play, it's such a big thing here in L.A. Right. Um, you've never done it? You've never been in one? No, I would definitely, because I can lucid dream and all that, I've always heard that you'll just be tripping. So I, that's why I've always wanted to give it a go. I got to say it. I'll it, be it, like Lisa Simpson. I'll, fl- I'll trip. Like the Lizard Queen. Um, yeah. It's definitely an experience. Like, I went to one, I think it was off of Harrison's suggestion, actually, because Harrison told me about this place in Pasadena that was like a sensory depth. Like, you basically go in there, you get your own room, you get your own tank, and it's pretty large. I'd say, like, at least eight by six, probably. Just And it's not, I mean, maybe two to three feet of uh, salt water. And you just kind of float, and they close the door. Or you close your own door, actually. And uh, you get, you're just butt naked. You close the door, and it's pitch black. There's no sound. And uh, I know I talked about it on the show at that time. I fucking loved it. Like, I was, first of all, I got, like, high as fuck. Me and my ex at the time smoked, like, uh, like two joints in the car. And then went in there, and we were, like, super stoned. The only way I think I would have enjoyed it more is if I could have played Hawkwind or something. Like, had some music in there. Yeah, um, I think you would need some music. So I would personally go for Deep Purple. Which would have been good, too. Um, yeah. Melvin's or something. But uh, the idea is you're not supposed to have music. It's supposed to be complete sensory deprivation. Like, you're not supposed to hear anything, feel anything, touch anything. You know, it's um, it's just you're just in blackness, in the void. Um, but anyway, she actually flipped the fuck out. Like, she was in there for, like, maybe 15 minutes and had, like, a crazy panic attack. That happens though. I think you either goes, you either don't. Nothing happens to you. You trip or you flip out. But I, do, I will trip. I know I will. Oh no, That's it was a good time. It. And it, you, you rent it for like an hour. I definitely recommend it to people. So Lily uh, viewed the isolation tank um, as a way to examine human consciousness and to induce states of reverie, like uh, you know, introspection and waking dreams, by taking what he termed a psychological free fall into a black hole in a psychophysical space. Sounds great. I'm signing <laughs> up for it. So he did it in like this building used by the Navy to under, study uh, underwater breathing. Um, he developed this isolation take. And at the time, there were opposing beliefs about brain activity. So behaviorism was probably like the, the main psychological theory at the time. And scientists were split. So one group believed that the brain needed external stimulation to stay awake. And the other group believed that the brain systems continued to oscillate and be active at all times, regardless of whether the brain was conducting transactions, you know, in the external world. Um, And so early prototypes of this tank were difficult to use because they were like completely submerged in water. Like you would be inside of it, but you're completely submerged in water with like tubes coming out of your, like a diver, which I don't know. I think that might almost be better. I don't know. That seems to me like the old fashioned water treatments that they used in the nut houses against the women who were committed for hysterical reasons. I'd just prefer to be, yeah, naked in salt water. Yeah, but you're completely submerged. But now it's now it's a bit different. Like you kind of go either through like a front hatch or just um, you know, and you climb into it. It's complete darkness. The water's not even hot or cold. It's like ninety three degrees. 
Definitely. And it's heavily concentrated with Epsom salts. So it's just you just float on top, you know, face up, no pressure on the body. And so it was during this that Lily discovered that the isolated mind becomes highly active and creative. It doesn't go into a state of repose like some of these scientists thought. It becomes highly active. He said in his book, uh, The Center of the Cyclone, I did not tend to go to sleep at all. He's like, the original theory was wrong. One did not need external stimulation to stay awake. After a few tens of hours of experiences, I found phenomena phenomena that had been previously described in various literatures. I went through dreamlike states, trance-like states, and mystical states. Dude's lucid dreaming. Exactly. And he said by isolating the mind, he found that uh, he could also harness the power of his heightened senses. So here he is uh, talking about the isolation tank. There's a ton of interviews with Dr. Lilly online. Totally recommend checking them out. The guy was weird. The guy was really weird. Um, my favorite interview, uh, he's wearing like this kind of coonskin cap. This is when he was in had two tubes coming out to breathe. <clears throat> I finally immersed myself in the darkness and the silence. Oh, I had a temperature regulating valve on the water flowing through the tank. So it didn't make any difference if I urinated or defecated because the water went on through out in the sewer. Later, that was not possible because we need the higher density water of Epsom salts. But in those years, for 10 years, I used that system there and other places. And I immediately found that this was a doorway. This was not an isolation tank. That's a cover story. <laughs> it is really a doorway into the universe. It's a doorway into the universe. Tell me, Dee, <laughs> did you defecate when you went in it, and that's why you had such a good time? I totally dropped the deuce, and it was just <laughs> floating there, and then I left, and it was just like this brown shark. And that's why your ex freaked out. She could because <laughs> she got in afterwards, and she's and I was like, "Brown shark, watch out!" Um, no, I didn't take a shit in that. I just love how this dude's just like being like you know in a sensory depth tank, just ripping fucking farts, pissing, <laughs> taking shit, shitting. Doesn't matter. <laughs> I'm experimenting. So he believed that by becoming unconscious of the body, you could reduce the size of your consciousness to like an incredibly small size, allowing travel on a quantum level. You're in like the quantum zone, like Ant-Man, you know, going to different universes and galaxies. Um, Which you can all do in lucid dreaming. Well, that's what he said. In the province of the mind, there are no limits. So it was around this time that maybe like a few years after, he was, you know, he was, uh, he was experimenting with the mind, mind expanding things, looking into behaviorism. It was around this time that uh, he came face to face with a beached pilot whale on the coast um, of Massachusetts. He was with his wife. This is 1949. And he couldn't believe the size of this animal's brain. <laughs> and, you, say, you couldn't believe the size of this animal's dong. <laughs> Of course you would say that. Just hanging out on the beach, this of pile of oil. Of course you would say that. It's dong. He was like, I could really use this in my experiment. You know what I read? Um, you just reminded me, quick aside here. Um, a lot of sailors you know, used to say they saw sea monsters and things like that. 
and you could see the neck, you know, like the long neck of like a sea monster. But yeah. you know what? Um, whales, when they uh, have sex, when they're like rutting, um, they usually mate in groups of three. So the female whale. What haws? Yeah, the, fe- the female whale is just ready to get banged. But the other whales are all just kind of hanging out, waiting their turn with their dicks out. So they're on their back and they got their dongs. Their dongs are huge. They look like the necks of sea monsters. So all these right. sailors at the time just saw a bunch of horny whales just kind of floating on their back with their dicks up in the air, thought they were monsters. And then the sailors just started jerking each other off. Once again, in your dreams. They did. All those sailors were gay back in the day because you had to be gay. You are at sea for day. like two years. There's no female about. Of course, they boned each other. Back in the day. Haven't you seen uh, village peoples in the Navy? <laughs> so he was stunned by the size of this animal's brain. He, and he thought just, you know, can, we, can you imagine how intelligent these creatures must be? You know, I mean, it, it's like with a brain that huge. So at every opportunity in the years that followed, he and his first wife, Mary, would charter sailboats and cruise the Caribbean looking for other, you know, big brain marine an- uh, mammals. And so it was around that time in the 50s that they came across Marine Studios in Miami, which was the first place to keep a bottlenose dolphin in captivity. Oh, that I poor know. dolphin. Took one Instead for the a trend. Yeah, soon SeaWorld happened. Yeah. Um, so around, up until this time, uh, most fishermen on America's East Coast thought dolphins were pests. They considered them vermin. Um, they were known. I, they were known as herring hawks. Do you know what I consider dolphins to me? Are the chabs of the ocean. Dolphins and killer whales are chabs. Total chabs of the ocean. Dolphins are pretty cheeky. They, you know they swim about with all their mates, just causing mischief. I would say that maybe the killer whales, obviously, because they, they play with their food, you know, they do all that shit with the seals, are, da- are like chavs with knives. But these are just like teenage chavs who are like, what you doing, mate? Are you in your fucking boat? Nah. That's yeah, a, but that's dolphins are also rapey, though, too. They're horny creatures. They're, they're super horny. They're horny creatures. Um, he noticed that they, you know, the dolphins' playful nature um, showed their ability to learn tricks quickly. You know, and so he was thinking, you know... I should study dolphins. So he opened a communication research lab in the Virgin Islands and began a decade of experiments. So he began conducting the first real scientific studies about those dolphins, which he called the humans of the sea. He liked the dolphins chops a of lot. the sea. Um, so he got to study the, the brains of live dolphins, mapping their cerebral cortex using fine probes, which is the uh, device he had uh, created earlier. Um, he'd first developed this work for the brains of rhesus monkeys, but then he started using it on dolphins. He maintained that dolphins, which he considered smarter and more humane than humans, had made remarkable efforts to talk to researchers research by imitating human sounds and human language. Can you remember ages ago on the second show when me and you had that debate because I think that animals <laughs> are smarter than humans? Me and Dr. Lily, same fucking page. Yeah, but do you think all animals are smarter than humans? Not necessarily all animals, but there are a lot of animals that are more intelligent than humans. And you know what? I'm good. I'm I'm with Dr. Lidd on this. I'm staking my claims with the dolphins. Not sure if dolphins are more intelligent, but they are intelligent creatures. Um, he found that dolphins can be taught to mimic the sounds of human speech, but what he wanted to understand was the language that dolphins use to speak to each other. So they had like some kind of dolphin language, like, you know, dolphin Spanish or something, dolphin Yiddish. 
Um, given their larger, more evolved brains, he hypothesized that the dolphin mode of communication had to be more sophisticated than our own. Yeah, I, I'm with this guy. I'm joining his cult. I'm moving to the Virgin <laughs> Islands, dude. I'm going to yeah. start wanking off the dolphins. About a year from now, you're going to be wanking off dolphins. So he <laughs> yeah. concluded that uh, dolphins are speaking a language similar to humans just much faster through their click and whistle conversations. And so he wrote a book called Communications Between Man and Dolphins, and he discovered that dolphins go to inordinate lengths to create sounds in the air that resemble those of human speech. And so through the dolphins' effort to communicate, he believed um, there was a narrow overlap between the frequencies of sound at which humans can hear and which dolphins can perceive. So he thought he could somehow take, find out where this point was, you know, kind of a happy median between the frequency of sounds of humans and to which dolphins can perceive and teach them how to communicate with humans. This is mental, such but I'm totally creatures. understanding and I'm down for this. I want <laughs> no, to throw is, money at this He is insane. Man. I think his first wife at the time was like, you're batshit crazy. We're getting a divorce. Because I'm by really this glad point, he never met me because I would have been like, we're married now and I am helping you without all of these endeavors. Well, I his agree. second wife here, um, Antoinette, who was named Tony, uh, was an artist. And uh, yeah, the, the two of them founded a nonprofit called the Human Dolphin Foundation to explore how a man and a dolphin can talk to one another. And so he wrote a couple books on the subject. He wrote uh, Man and Dolphin, The Mind of the Dolphin, that addressed the exceptional brain of the bottlenose dolphin and spurred a huge interest in dolphins among scientists because no one had studied them at the time. I mean, they were considered pests by fish. Kind of. Actually, um, put a pin in that because that becomes (laughs) relevant a little bit later. (laughs) Wasn't Wasn't it a TV show? It was Flipper a TV show first? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I do it was the Flipper the, faster than light. Flipper the dolphin. Yeah. Yes, it was a TV show, and then it was also a film, wasn't it? So his research on dolphin communication and the unappreciated intelligence of uh, cetacean life um, was published in his book, and it captured the public's imagination. Astronomers like Carl Sagan uh, saw in Lily's efforts the foundations of approaches that could be used to communicate with aliens, with extraterrestrial life. So NASA was very interested in his studies, and they provided him with financial backing to build another lab in the Caribbean. I love it. And so Sagan belonged to a uh, secretive group, along with Lily, called the Order of the Dolphin, <laughs> which despite <laughs> this its name... This is getting so crazy. I'm I so know. into this. Um, we're just at the beginning here, which despite its name, focused on searching for extraterrestrial intelligence. So uh, you might be uh, familiar with the term SETI, that group um, spawned from the Order of the Dolphin. Uh, so Dr. John Lilly was part of the, part of the group, and uh, you know his whole theory and his studies, the point of his studies, was that dolphins wanted to and likely could communicate with humans. We just need to figure out how. We need to have an interspecies translator and so, uh, or a translation device. Um, another member of the uh, Order of the Dolphin, astronomer Frank Drake, headed the National Radio Astron- Astronomy Observatory's Green Bank Telescope in West Virginia. And he was in charge of a project called Project Ozma that searched for extraterrestrial life through radio waves emitted from other planets. He read Lily's book, Man and Dolphin, and he drew, you know, parallels between his own work and Lily's. And so it was him that actually got the funding for the laboratory. 
that's nice. That's cool. Helping a bro out, a science so, guy. Lily built a state-of-the-art laboratory, workspace kind of, um, with an upper-level workspace on the top and a dolphin enclosure that you know that was attached to the sea. So they had like fresh seawater, um, and that's where the dolphins were. And this was right in the Caribbean. This place was called Dolphin Point. That's what they named the uh, the laboratory. So it was around this time that young, naive, but ambitious. Uh, 23-year-old local, Margaret Ho Lavat realized... Oh, she's the ho, all right, of this story. <laughs> I, may, I might be pronouncing it wrong. Maybe it's how. H-O-W-E. No, it's ho. It's uh, ho but for the she realized this that this lab you know, existed, found out about it, and so she drove to go check it out. And she remembered you know, um, that animals could talk, and she thought dolphins could talk, and so she heard about what they're studying and was completely obsessed with it, be- completely enamored. Although she had no medical experience or scientific so this is, background. Yeah, this is me rocking up in my Buick saying, hey, boys, I'm, he- I'm here to help. Basically, you showed up at the lab and uh, she went right up to the director, this guy named Gregory Bateson, who is a famous anthropologist. And uh, she said, I heard you have dolphins. I thought I'd come check it out and see if there's anything I could do. So Bateson allowed Lovett to watch the dolphins. He you know, admired her enthusiasm. And uh, she definitely, you know, was very interested. And so maybe he wanted to make her feel useful or something. He asked her to take notes while observing them. Uh, both he and Lily, Dr. John Lily, realized that, you know, she's very intuitive, uh, despite any kind of lack of training. And so they offered her an open invitation to work at the lab. And soon, you know, her dedication to the project completely <laughs> intensified. She worked diligently with the dolphins, three of them, in fact, uh, one named Pamela, female, sissy, female, and Peter, a male. And through daily lessons, she encouraged them to create human-type sounds. Like, she would talk to the dolphins. She would pronounce her, trying to get them to pronounce her name. This I, woman is me. It's a, a daft <laughs> bitch talking but, to these fucking dolphins. But the process was a bit tedious, um, and it wasn't really showing that much progress. So... She felt that the reason that they weren't, you know, that, that, that they weren't making as much progress as they thought they could be is because she had to leave in the evenings and there was so much work left to do. So she felt like, you know, the work kind of the progress reset when she had to come back in the morning. So she convinced Lily, Lily to let her live in the lab and she waterproofed the upper rooms and flooded them with a couple feet of water. This way, human and dolphin could occupy the same space. Right. <laughs> so she was like living in a water she, house. With she dolphins. is becoming a dolphin in her mind. She reasoned that if she could live with the dolphins around the clock and uh, nurture their interests and, make, and speak to them, making, you know, and get them to make human like sounds, it'd be like a mother teaching a child to speak. So she said, Why let water get in the way? She goes, I want to plaster everything and fill this place with water. I want to live here. So John Lilly was like, all right. And you know, the radical nature of her, of her ideas appealed to him. And he was just like, let's do this. So she completely waterproofed the upper floors. And uh, yeah, I mean, she lived with Peter, the dolphin, in the building for three months. Oh, and this so is how the, love, the love story starts. This is where it comes from. She selected the young male dolphin, Peter, um, because he had not had any human-like sound training. Whereas the other two actually were already exposed to it. Um, so what would happen? Like she would spend six days working with Peter in the middle of the room. 
you know, suspended over, she had a desk that was kind of suspended from the ceiling, hanging over the water. And on the last day, he would return to the sea pool downstairs to spend other t- some time with the other animals. So here's an audio recording of one of the training sessions. Oh, wow. Yeah. Today is August 18. This is the morning lesson with Peter. Hello. Hello. Clearly, Peter. She was speaking to the dolphins. Like, could you hear that? Yeah, this is like how I talk to my cat. And then you think whatever sound he's saying sounds like a word. So wait, listen to her voice. This is from a BBC documentary that came out recently. I didn't talk to Peter the way I talked to you. I, I spoke in single words usually <laughs> and made inflection, something that he could follow. That they were very good at. The, the enunciation was not good. But if I said one, two, three, I I wouldn't get one, two, three, but I would get <laughs> Isn't she mental? That's kind of true though. It's like birds. When birds are mimicking you and they can speak back at you, they're just mimicking the pattern. I think they're of your mimicking voice, the which sound, is intelligent. Yeah. Like kind of, but I mean, it's not like they're communicating. No, it is intelligent, D. And they are trying to, commu- yeah, they're mimicking us, but they're also communicating with us because they know that if they do this, if they repeat this certain pattern of things, they're going to get attention mm. and they'll probably get a treat. It is intelligent. Well, I think what Peter was interested was in. Uh, oh, yeah, it was a Margaret's handy anatomy. from the hoe. <laughs> she said if she was sitting there and her legs were in the water, he'd come up and look at the back of her knees. He was really <laughs> interested, kind of charmed by it. But she was saying that something seemed to be getting away or something distracting him. So one of the veterinarians who was on the, on the site said, dolphins get sexual urges. You know, he said, I'm sure Peter had plenty of thoughts along those lines. I mean, Peter's I don't think he was innocently looking at the back of her knees. Uh, Levat said, Peter liked to be with me. He would rub himself on my knee or my foot or my hand. And at first... I would just put him downstairs with the girls, you know, just so he could get those feelings out. But transporting him downstairs was so disruptive for the lessons, um, you know, faced with his frequent arousals, it was just easier for me to relieve his urges manually. She wanked him off. <laughs> she wanked off Peter's Peter. She said, I wasn't uncomfortable with it, as long as it wasn't rough. Um, it would just become part of what was going on, like an itch, just to get rid of it, scratch it, and move on. This is kind of what Kay Rambo thinks of hand jobs. <laughs> yeah, you know, like it just it calms you down. It gets you back <laughs> to being normal. Stop <laughs> being so feisty. Put you to sleep. You know, she like you know makes people feel better in the back of the office. That's five quid. Come on, mate. <laughs> um, five quid. It's usually just a portion of chips, mate. <laughs> She said, you know, she'd scratch it and move on. That's just kind of how it seemed to work. She goes, it wasn't private. People could watch it. So I wonder and they if all just like, look at that hoe. She's wanking him off. It's the fifth time today. Yeah, I wonder what the other people at the, uh, at the lab here thought. They're like, dude, is she whacking off that dolphin again? What does the cum taste like? This is my burning question. Do you think it'll be saltier than the sea? 
I don't know. I imagine it probably oh, tastes like the liquid that's in tuna. Yeah, possibly. You know? I did have to Google what a dolphin penis looked like because I want—I was intrigued. I wanted to know, um, especially after the King of the Hill episode where the dolphin rapes Hank Hill. <laughs> dolphin penises aren't that unattractive, but they are weird. It's not like they're a spiral cock, like what a duck Yeah, has like a whale penis. or something. No, I mean, it's like, I think it, it it's have... sort of shaped like an actual dick. Yeah, it's got a fin fin bit at the top. It's like a tapered fin bit, nearly like a cat's penis, but without the fawns. And then it goes into what I would be like if that slipped into me in like a darkened room. I'd be like, "Is this a man?" No, it's a dolphin. Okay. And you probably would continue. Um, Why not? So I for mean, Levette, we're already doing it. It was a precious thing, which is carried out with great respect. She said it wasn't sexual. It was sensuous, maybe. But it seemed to make the bond between us closer. Not because of sexual activity, because, but because of the lack of having to keep breaking. And that's really all it was. I was just get, getting there to know Peter. And this was part of Peter. Peter's it definitely Peter. is part of Peter. It's Peter's Peter. Peter's pickle in your hand, honey. Well, her sexual encounters with Peter would ultimately overshadow the whole experiment when a story about them appeared in Hustler magazine in the late 70s. <laughs> They they like totally blew it up. This is when Hustler was like kind of credible and actually did like journalistic pieces. Rock on Larry Flint, rock on. She said she hadn't even heard of Hustler, you know, and uh, then she all of a sudden heard about this story with her name and Peter the Dolphin and a drawing of her whacking it off. <laughs> and so she said she brought up all the copies she could find, but there, you know, you can still find the article on the web. I saw it. You can still find it on the internet. It's was like there a PDF picture of, of the drawing? Yeah, it's like, you know, I should look for that. I'll try, try to put it on the site. But there's like a picture of a woman, like, sensually with a dolphin. I want a copy of that to put in uh, my bathroom. <laughs> well, so, you know, at this point, it kind of discredited the experiment. I mean, it, it didn't matter what was trying to be, you know, accomplished or what they were actually researching. It was like, there's a woman jerking off dolphins in a lab in my, you know, in the Caribbean. And that's and all NASA people thought about it. So, Drake... You know, re- obviously heard about the story. He sent Carl Sagan you know, to go check on it. And he found out that, yeah, they weren't, you know, they were pursuing not trying to, like, have the dolphins teach their dolphin language. Um, you know, Lily was never able to do it. He was instead trying to get Levat to teach Peter English by any means possible, even if it included jerking the dolphin off. So he was pretty disappointed. With the progress of the experiment. Can you imagine Carl Sagan's face <laughs> when he goes there to the lab? Seeing and she's this just whacking it. Whacking off a dolphin. <laughs> this is not what I um, paid for. But also around the time. So first of all, so that article comes out. Experiment's a bit discredited. But also around that time, Dr. Lily was getting into LSD. And so. Let's combine it all. Yeah. He was introduced to the drug at a Hollywood party by the wife of Ivan Tors, who is the producer of the movie Flipper. So I guess it was a movie. Right. Um, John and Ivan Tors are really pretty good friends, said uh, Rick, Rick O'Berry of the Dolphin Project, which is an organization, organization aimed to stop dolphin slaughter. And he was a friend of Lily's at the time. And so Ivan was uh, financing some of the work um, you know, that Lily was doing, and he saw John, because, I mean, he knew John pretty well, Dr. Lilly go from a scientist with a white coat to a full-blown hippie whacked out on LSD. 
And so people say, people that knew him, that his mind-expanding experiments with LSD marked his first step off the deep end. So he was already, you know, on the radical fringe, you know, with his theories and his experiments, but now he's using LSD. So he's definitely kind of getting even more out there. So LSD was legal in the 50s, you know, but he never tried it until like the mid-60s. You know, and people offered it to him, but he just never really did until someone, I think it was uh, Ginsburg, and he was pretty good. He was close uh, friends with Ginsburg, Alan Ginsburg, and uh, Dr. Timothy Leary. Oh, and that's so funny. They suggested, Cassidy, then. they suggested that he take LSD in his isolation take. And so he did. This is like around 1964, 65. He said he left his body, and he went into infinite distances, dimensions that are inhuman. He traveled through his brain, watching the neurons and their activities. They had good acid back in the 60s. Yeah, this is a good trip. This is fun. Yeah. So it was around this time that he started uh, considering the human body to be a biocomputer. And it was through this, uh, you know, through his usage of acid and also his studies, he felt that humans are composed of metaprograms, programs that create other programs, and that there's innumerable programs operating simultaneously in the human biocomputer that define our experiences, our biases, our prejudices, our desires, our associations, and all that. And so a lot of these beliefs are kind of pushed out to the borders. That's kind of where childhood trauma is. And so he would do psychotherapy to try to uncover, you know, episodes of childhood trauma, different memories from his childhood. But then he realized that LSD had a profound effect on the functioning of the human biocomputer. So he got into it. And so in the 60s, there was a small selection of neuroscientists, Timothy Leary and John Lilly and a few others that were licensed to research LSD by the American government, convinced that the drug had some kind of medicinal value. Um, So as part of this research... He injected the drug into mm-hmm. dolphins. Holy so he had been using it on the dolphins since 1964, curious about what LSD would do to these animals, like what kind of type of effect it would have. But much well, to his annoyance. Do? Did they just like float there, tripping their gods off? Or was it like Echo the Dolphin, the game? And that's what they'd go into. Nothing happened. His various oh, attempts to get the dolphins high. against marine life. Well, not, I don't know about marine life, but his various attempts to get the dolphins to respond to the drug just didn't seem to have any kind of effect on them. Oh, wow. And Lavette was actually, um, Margaret was actually pretty upset about it. And she, she insisted that he can't inject Peter with a drug. She, so yeah. she asked him not to, and he never did. Uh, she is in love with this dolphin. She can, she can try and turn it any other way, but she loves this dolphin. But it was, you know, it was Dr. Lilly's lab and they were his animals. And so she couldn't really stop him from giving LSD to the other dolphins. But his cavalier attitude to the dolphins' welfare would eventually kind of lead to his downfall. Oh, Um, no. The lab's director, Gregory Bateson, said, I'm out of here. And then NASA, because they didn't see any progress in the experiment, they just thought he was kind of like going out of his mind on this drug and not to mention the dolphin handjobs. Um, they cut the funding. So, you know, the experiment ended up uh, ended up uh, not having any funding, so he had to stop his research, and the lab eventually was closed. 
And so without the Dolphins or without the lab and without any money, they had to, she, you know, Levesque couldn't keep Peter. So they're going to move um, the Dolphins into another lab in a, in a bank building in Miami. Oh, so yeah. Wouldn't you just release them back into the wild? I don't know why they didn't do that. I don't know if you can release dolphins like that. Yeah, maybe they've become uh, too surrounded by humans and they would just get eaten by a killer whale. You know, I mean, maybe just because they're in captivity for so long. Poor Um, guys. But so anyway, at the Miami lab, you know, obviously Levat didn't, you know, Margaret Levat didn't really have any contact with with, with Peter anymore. And they're in smaller tanks with no sunlight. Peter yeah. quickly deteriorated, and after a few weeks, Dr. Lilly gave uh, Margaret Levatt a phone call. John called him, called her himself to say that Peter had committed suicide. No, I don't want, I don't want to hear about a dolphin commit. Did he jump out of his tank? No, so Rick O'Berry, the guy who said that um, Lilly was becoming a hippie, said dolphins are not automatic air breathers like we are. Every breath is a conscious effort. So if life becomes too unbearable, the dolphins take their final breath and they, they just sink they drown to the bottom. Themselves. This is the saddest thing I have heard in a long, long, long time. So Peter just was like, fuck it, I'm out. I'm not going to breathe no more. The veterinarian who uh, worked at the, uh, the dolphin point said Peter's death was from a broken heart. <laughs> Peter, stop. why he wanted to make me cry? <laughs> it was brought on by the separation from Levat and... You know, I mean, and that's what happened. She you know, must have given the best, best hand jobs, and he just couldn't go on without those hand jobs. I mean, the love I of his it, life was gone. And you know what's interesting? People who who might remember that old sick and wrong episode where I interviewed Malcolm Brenner, the guy who uh, oh, fucked yeah. the dolphin. Um, similar situation. Ruby, the dolphin that he was with, was moved to another facility when they were separated, and she died of a broken heart. Same exact way. You can't tell me that that isn't the sign of an intelligent animal then that builds up a bond with someone it's else sad. that's not of their species, falls in love with them. And then when separated, has a broken heart. That is a it, sign of intelligence. No, it definitely is. Um, in the documentary on the BBC documentary called The Girl Who Talked to Dolphins, this is like 50 years after the experiment, Levat explained, I wasn't terribly unhappy about it. I was more unhappy about him being in the conditions that he had to live in at the lab. Um, nobody was going to bother Peter. He wasn't going to hurt. He was, wasn't going to be unhappy. He was just gone. And that was okay. Odd, but that's just how I felt. She so. probably she probably had a sore wrist. She was like, I had carpal tunnel. <laughs> well, point. this was so years later. It was good later. for us to have a break. So, you know, she, lived, she stayed in the Caribbean after the failed experiment, and she married the original fo- photographer that worked on the project. You know, together they had three daughters, and they converted the abandoned Dolphin Point Laboratory into a home for their family. That, well, that's weird. But of course <laughs> he would marry her. He's probably seen her wrist action and been like, I'm going to get me a piece of that when they break up. When well, she breaks you imagine up being her dolphin. husband? Wouldn't you be like, oh, wait, so where did you jerk off the dolphin? Like, <laughs> it was I, probably like... foreplay. He's probably like, do to me what you used to do to Pete. So meanwhile, Dr. Lilly, you know, he lost his lab, lost his funding, um, but he continued, uh, you know, to study communication with dolphins, exploring other ways to talk to them, even through telepathy, and some of it more scientific using musical tones. He and his, uh, his wife, Tony, created a device called Janus, named after the two-faced Roman god, uh, to uh, try to communicate with dolphins. But 
No one else ever, no one else ever tried to uh, speak English to dolphins again. Like it was just, that was his experiment. Um, so meanwhile, reporters were, you know, afterwards in the 80s were trying to be like, where's John Lilly now? Because, I mean, he was definitely kind of a controversial figure at the time. Um, but most people, like, when, they, when she'd ask scientists, like, you know, what happened to the guy? Most would respond, what do you mean? What dimension he's in? Because <laughs> he was full-blown into uh, studying the mind-altering effects of LSD and ketamine. He found oh, Special K, John. and he loved ketamine. In fact, he wrote a book, his seminal book, this is probably like his uh, most famous work, called Programming and Metaprogramming in the Human Biocomputer, where he explored how much of human behavior was genetically determined and how much was installed by experiences in life. Um, so, yeah, he, he kind of felt that LSD sort of opened opened your mind up to that. With isolation LSD, he was able to hack into the control panel of the mind and reveal hidden sets of beliefs. I mean, Dr. Timothy Leary thought that that book was one of the three most important ideas of the 20th century. I kind of want this book. I bet Harrison owned it as well. I big guarantee you did. Programming and metaprogramming the human biocomputer. I mean, the guy was very prolific. He wrote many books. Um, This is interesting. I'm going to play a couple more clips and then actually one more clip. Uh, so this is from an interview with the PBS series Thinking Aloud. This is when he's talking about ketamine. And on that show, he wore a coonskin cap, like Davy Crockett, pearl earring studs, and a black latex glove on one hand, like Michael Jackson. He sounds, he sounds like someone I would have an effect with. Kind of looks like Sean Penn. Let's cool. focus a little bit on some of the terms you defined a moment ago, or, or you mentioned ketamine. What is ketamine? Ketamine is the most commonly used anesthetic for very young children and old people. It was used for and cats, like in a cat the the But it was horses. Emergence meaning coming out of the anesthetic. And uh, some doctors don't like those emergence symptoms, so they won't use it. But others know what they are, so they just hold the hand of the patient and help them come out. Um, it was the most commonly used anesthetic in Vietnam. Some places won't use it at all. But frightened of it. Basically, what a, a strong dose of ketamine will do is make you unaware of your body. Yes, it can. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't like it anymore. But it it creates an, a, a state where one can enter into inner inner realities free from the attachments of right. the body. Echo told me to stop using it. Do you hear that? Echo told him to stop using it. Echo the dolphin. Not the dolphin, the organization. So when he was introduced to ketamine, it was at a, a few years later after the experiment, or his uh, initial research uh, folded and he lost the laboratory. This was at the Esalen Institute in, the, in Big Sur, California. Um, he felt that ketamine could help him achieve the same altered states he had in LSD, but with greater consistency. So, I mean, this guy was crazy. He put ketamine on an IV drip and was dosing himself every hour of every, you know, every waking hour of every day. That is proper K-holing, isn't it? I mean, the he guy was on like, he was only getting like four hours of sleep. So he was on like 20 hours of ketamine. This guy was needs it? some DMT too. Yeah, you know, I'm surprised he didn't use that. Um, so he felt that by increasing or decreasing his dosage through an IV drip, he was able to return again and again to this internal landscape of his mind. And he was attempting to map the terrain 
to understand the physics and ecology of the strange realities through which he was traveling. He felt that he could communicate with these beings telepathically. And so he felt that the universe was linked through a network of connected minds. He called it hyperspace. And he believed in the existence of a certain hierarchical group of cosmic entities. The lowest was dubbed Earth Coincidence Control Office, ECHO. And so he states that there exists a Cosmic Coincidence Control Center, CCC, with a galactic substation called Galactic Coincidence Control, GCC, and within GCC is the Solar System Control Unit, and within that is ECHO, the Earth Coincidence Control Office. We talked about this during the Lucid Dreaming episode. Remember the the people were talking about there being separate worlds with separate entities who were controlling everything. But I don't recall them saying, you know, it was Echo. I mean, he said he would routinely communicate with Echo. This group yeah, of alien but I mean, beings. it's weird how, well, it's probably just a point of reference for human beings' brains because we like to create scenarios like this. So it's not uncommon, but it, it is just a weird thing that they, the, through the research, they've found similar things. And this guy's in a K-hole for 20 hours a day. Well, the purpose, he, he felt the purpose of Echo was to guide human beings away from their destructive programming so that they can evolve to higher levels of existence. And Echo was the inspiration for the 1992 video game, Echo the Dolphin. Because he uh, communicated re- telepathically, like the dolphins well, do. I had Echo the Dolphin. I had a Mega Drive. I actually had Echo the Dolphin until <laughs> about two years ago when I finally got rid of my Mega Drive. It is that, like a lot of the games in the Mega Drive, it is so rock hard. Oh, it's you so can't... difficult. No, it's very difficult. And the music and is very ominous. It's like kind of a terrifying game. It used to scare me. Couldn't you charge? Like, could, wasn't yeah. there a button to charge and that was your primary weapon? Yeah, you would charge and like headbutt the stingrays and the orcas and stuff like that. But it was scary. I, I don't, I will probably have to watch a YouTube video of someone completing Echo the Dolphin to see what happens at the end. But I, it was balmy. Loads of, sometimes, you know, you would get sucked up out the sea and spat out somewhere else. Into like space or something. Yeah. Yeah, crazy oh, yeah that you it was, did go into it was space. based on this game or based on his theories. Um, so he kind of went off the deep end. No with shit. With ketamine. With ketamine, I th- definitely. And, and at one point, um, he was taking the drug, and I guess he got out of his isolation tank and he climbed into a hot tub, not realizing how high the temperature was. And as he tried to climb out, he experienced a drop in blood pressure. And he slipped under the surface of the water and he drowned. And he did so a Whitney his... Houston. That's how Whitney Houston died. Yeah, well, his wife, Tony, found him, pulled him out of the tub and resuscitated him with mouth to mouth. But rather than, you know, and he lived, but rather than take this brush with death as like a lesson, like maybe you shouldn't be doing <laughs> drugs and get into your hot tub, uh, he saw it <laughs> as a sign that Echo was watching out for him, his guardians, and would oh, protect no. him under any circumstances. So then he upped his ketamine injections to nearly um, twice an hour. Wouldn't you be pissed if you were his <laughs> wife? Like, no, it wasn't Echo, mate. It was me who found you, and then I resuscitated you. Stop calling me Echo. I'm your he wife. Was, he was in constant telepathic communication with Echo, and, it, and he felt he was an agent on Earth. At one point, he was convinced that the world was on the verge of annihilation from aliens, and he tried to call President Ford. And yeah, uh, yeah, and want to warn the government, and he almost was committed to a psychiatric hospital at that point. I mean, I I think they took him in, and they well, I think they took him in, evaluated him, and like he ended up getting out. 
Um, but in his final years, you know, Lilly was seen as something of a psychedelic visionary. I mean, he was reputed to have taken more LSD and ketamine than anyone alive. So I think he kind of blew away Terrence McKenna and Robert Anton Wilson and Dr. Timothy Leary. Um, and he would oftentimes receive phone calls from seekers attempting to decipher his visions about aliens and Echo and these other cosmic entities. And he had friends, you know, like uh, Timothy Leary, Allen Ginsberg, who loved to try out his sensory deprivation tanks. Um, you know, he was also friends with Carl Sagan, people like that. Dr. John Lilly wrote, I have explored and I have voluntarily entered into domains forbidden by a large fraction of those in our culture who are not curious, not explorative, and are not mentally equipped to enter these domains. Um, Dr. Lilly died September 30th, 2001 at the age of 86. And you can actually check out, people, his website. It's amazing. It's like a GeoCities website. Um, JohnCLilly.com. On his website, it says... We can only imagine what limits he is transcending now. Who knows where this guy is? Man, I salute him. He blew the bloody doors off perception, didn't he? He just knocked them down. I mean, his contributions to science and his research kind of, you know, is largely dismissed by the mainstream scientific community. And his credibility is probably damaged from the LSD, injecting dolphins with LSD and giving them hand jobs. But fuck them. Yeah. I mean, this guy... He's a, he's a revolutionary. He's a radical thinker. Um, and, you know, some of his, uh, you know, his research inspired uh, the George C. Scott um, movie Day of the Dolphin, which came out in 1973, where he portrayed a John Lilly-type scientist um, known to the dolphins as Pa, P-A, <laughs> who succeeds in teaching a dolphin to speak English. And then they, uh, one of my favorite movies, 1980 movie Altered States, Oh, wow. Um, yeah, which yeah. features actor uh, William Hurt regressing to a simian form by ingesting psychoactive substances and then being in a sensory deprivation chamber, directly related to the life of uh, Dr. John Lilly. Of course it is. Fascinating man and a very interesting story. So, as you can see, we do talk about varied subjects here on Sick and Wrong, but oftentimes they do uh, involve jerking dolphins off. Often. <laughs> and drugs. Anyway, people's episode 838 here is Sick and Wrong. Got some phone calls coming up next, 323-522-4032. But first, here's a quick message. Hey, guys. It's me, Stephen. I'm a huge fan of your show. Thanks to your awesome coupon code, Diddle, I can buy myself loads of good sex toys. Since both of my wives died, and my Lugaric's disease got pretty bad, let's just say things in the bedroom got pretty boring. But thanks to adamandeve.com and coupon code DIDDLE, D-I-D-D-L-E. I'm now a new man. So we got a few phone calls to get to here. 323-522-4032. We need some more phone calls. Barely got any this week. I think we got one this week. Just one person. Come on, Just one phone call. What the fuck, people? 
You can even email us, cigaronpodcast at gmail.com. We want to hear from you. If not, I guess I'm I'm just just going to cut the phone call segment. I mean, whatever. (laughs) It'll make the show shorter. So, I mean, for me, it's a a win-win situation. (laughs) But I'd rather actually get, I do, phone calls are one of my favorite part of the show. Phone call, yeah, I love the phone calls. One of my favorite parts of the show is the phone call portion because you get to actually interact with the audience. Um, So give us a call, 323-522-4032. The call that we did get this week is uh, from uh, Adam from Tokyo. Nice. Sick and wrong, Adam from Tokyo. What's up, guys? It's great you guys were able to spend some time together. Uh, it was honestly really cute. And even though, like, you know, cute. everyone fucking hates happy endings, I guess. I think you guys being, like, like in love with each other. But honestly, I'm super happy for you. And I think because you're both so wicked that it actually hasn't affected any of the bite of the show. Um, but... Uh, yeah, I'm calling about some other shit. Uh, I was thinking about some, you know, gross topics. <laughs> a friend of mine sent me this photo of this piece I did. You guys know I used to write graffiti or like still do or whatever. Yeah, Adam was like a graffiti artist. Really good though. Yeah. I don't know, it sounds like he still does it. But I, I was painting in this kind of grimy spot of East Vancouver and um, like... I stepped on a, this huge rusty nail and it went ah. right through the top of my foot, right? Like it poked out and I really quickly went like, ow, and like lifted it back up, right? Of course, you're thinking, oh shit, I got tetanus and all this, you know, it's fucked up. Well, first thing I was thinking is, oh fuck, it's a, it's a rig, you know, it's like a, it's a heroin needle went through my foot or some shit. That's what I would be freaked out about. It's like stepping on someone's, uh, someone's needle. <laughs> all I could think in my head is Alan Partridge going, I put my foot through a spike. (laughs) (laughs) If you've seen Alan Partridge, you know exactly which episode I'm talking about. Lynn, I put my foot through a spike. I remember I was in college and uh, I learned like, you you should never, if your cat goes up on a tree, just let it come down. Don't go try to get it. Did you try to go up a tree to get a car? Yeah, fucking T-boy. Like, got out of the house. And he ran out. He ran outside. And I was pretty wasted. I mean, we'd been having a barbecue. A bunch of people were over there. And I was like, ah, oh, fuck, I gotta get the cat. And he ran up a tree. And so I was, like, trying to get him. And I climbed up. I almost had him. And the branch I was standing on broke. And I fell. And I got impaled on the spike. This, ru- this rusty spike. It was like a, I mean, it was like a piece of rebar that was sticking out of the ground in like a piece of concrete, it just impaled right in my ass. I still have a scar from it, like right in my uh, ass. And no, I fell on it. It didn't take your virginity though. No, no, in my ass cheek. It was like ripped right into my ass cheek, like a hole in it. And so Holy I was standing shit. there and I'm like, help. And I could hear them <laughs> listening to music and people laughing and stuff. I'm like, help. And no one came to my aid. And I ended up like having to pull myself off of this fucking rusty bar that was like stuck in my right butt cheek and then I just kind of like blood there's just blood down my whole pant leg and I remember walking back to the party and everyone's like where have you been and I was just like fuck you and I just kind of walked upstairs and yeah no it sucked I had to get a fucking tetanus shot in my ass stitches oh it sucked because I so many times painting I found heroin needles like stuck in oh, walls or whatever East Van's grimy but um, 
So the fun part of the story is that I went to the uh, emergency. It happened my my ex girl was like around her. She just was pulling up right as that happened, and she was a Japanese girl with like a nice car. And like we booted out to the um, the hospital, the nearby hospital, not even that nearby. <laughs> and I I slapped a plastic bag around my foot, right, and then that plastic bag just filled up with blood like as I was getting there like it's it you know it was a hole right in the through my entire foot so did it go through like Jesus Christ style like was a stigmata that's what I'm, that's what I'm picturing that yeah like stigmata like hole right through your foot there's been so much blood Ugh. quite a lot of blood so I, I had this big plastic bag full of blood around my leg and uh they wheeled me into the thing and like you know they let me go ahead of pretty much everyone because they're like, ew, fucking disgusting. Let's let this guy go in first because <laughs> he's bleeding out. So they, they kind of shuffled me in. But as I went through the lobby, uh, a bunch of people saw me, right? Like, so <laughs> in the lobby, uh, three or four people, well, first, I think like two people threw up, right? So <laughs> when they saw the blood bag on your foot, they just <laughs> barfed. <laughs> I probably would have. One person puked and another person puked. And then my ex-girlfriend, who's Japanese, w- w- had to puke herself. So overall, I got I had three pukers <laughs> to the hospital. So I thought it was pretty funny. Uh, it's almost like the scene in Stand By Me where there's that like, puke-a-thon. But um, I guess my challenge would be, you know, I love when you guys have the nurse stories like nurses in hospitals and their disgusting stuff they see in their jobs. So I guess like, I want to hear gross injuries too. Like, let me hear some gross fucking injuries. Like when did you fuck yourself up? Uh, Challenge issued. Thanks guys. Love you. Peace. Keep it sick. Keep it wrong. Wow. A challenge, huh? Mine would be, I'm not going to tell the full story because I told it uh, on the patron and it is a patron exclusive story, but I like um, my pussy spat in a doctor's face once, but that's all I'm going to say. If you want to hear that story, you have to sign up to the patron. You remember that story? I do remember. It's very disgusting. Yeah. Yeah. That's probably the grossest story I've got. You sprayed like pussy juice, like all over this doctor, like a starfish does. Puss, puss and push pussy juice it was a combination <laughs> of the two it's no, really disgusting yeah that was on uh yeah that was really gross like in the doctor's face right right in her face and she like reacted viscerally to it but did she barf in your pussy uh well she started she went and like wiped wiped it all off uh, there was no God. puke that time there's no puke there's no blood but there's puss and pussy juice so I'm gonna have to think. I've had a I've had a lot of injuries, so I don't know if I've ever made anyone puke from my injuries, but I have had a lot of injuries. That have one of you my... ever made yourself puke from an injury? Because that can happen when you're in extreme pain. You can often puke. No, I don't think I ever actually have. I made myself pass out. Um, but yeah, yeah. Now, but this is a good challenge. Actually, it could be some good stories. So there you go, people. Give us a call three two three five two two four zero three two. Let us know the worst time you've ever, like the worst injury you've ever had. Maybe we Aussie. should do like a challenge, and we should do like prizes. I do have some like, Adam and Eve shit I got to get rid of. We yeah, let's do it. So at the minute, Adam is in the lead. Right now, Adam is winning. But yeah, I have like, uh, I think I have a couple t shirts, got some Adam and Eve stuff. 
Um, if your story is if your story is worth its weight, then uh, then we'll then we'll see what in happens grossness. here. In grossness, grossness, gnarliness, in gnarliness. Yeah. All right, we got one more phone call. Buffalo Bill calls in about uh, Kate Rambo's favorite movie. Hey, DNK, this is Buffalo Bill. I just got done watching Bloodsport, and nice. what a fucking fun movie that was. Oh, it's a blast. blast. It's a roller coaster. Uh, things fun. besides the kicking and Van Damme's ass in that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, His ass was great. <laughs> Lots of spandex. Uh, I got surprised when fucking Ogre from Revenge of the Nerds was in it. I totally forgot yeah. about that. The, the guy, the biker guy is Ogre from Revenge of the Nerds. Yeah, I IMDb'd him. He's been in like tons of stuff. Oh, they yeah, just like would cast sure. him to be that guy in every film. I'm fucking Snaggletooth. Uh, and um, oh, and the part where uh, Van Damme does the splits and uppercuts that dude in the nuts. The goddamn that was great. Thing. What a beautiful signature shot move. That the whole thing is signature move. It's so good. Um, nah, it was a really fucking fun movie. Uh, I don't know if you guys have seen it, but there's a very fun film called, um, oh, it's one of my favorites too, The Man with the Iron Fist. Ooh, RZA. Have you seen that? It's you know, good. It's pretty cheesy. It's a kung fu movie. Maybe you've heard of it. For I've those seen who it. Haven't, uh, it's made- you know, there's a part two that came out that I've never actually seen, but part one I enjoyed. I think Russell With the Crow's RZA is in, in the RZA from the Wu-Tang Clan. Yeah, he, he's, he wrote it. So he's modern. Uh, let's see, 2014, 2013, maybe. Yeah, I've never seen that. It's pretty good, actually. It's got a uh, Russell Crowe plays the bad guy. I want to say Tarantino is involved. I don't think Tarantino directed. I think the RZA directed it too. Yeah, well, he's into the movies, so that yeah. won't surprise me. It's, it's pretty good, actually. But there's a oh, second. There's a it. sequel to it that I've never actually seen, also starring the RZA. Uh, the RZA from Wu Tang Clan. Uh, he had Tarantino help him make it. Okay, me Tarantino. Lucy Liu fucking in it. She's incredible. Russell Crowe's in it, and he's just fucking weird and disgusting in the movie, and it's great. It's super gory. It's a good movie, yeah. Oh, my God. Uh, it, and, it, like, the Rizzo's just playing out a fantasy he's had. It's super, like, it, like, get high and watch that movie. You will have a blast. Fucking Batista's in it. And Batista's like Batista's in it. Oh, right. Okay, I'm I surprised I've not seen this that. then. Yeah, I remember when it came out. I never saw it in theaters, but I did see it on video, uh, like shortly after. My era of WWE, I goddamn love Batista, uh, Jeff Hardy, Undertaker, all that. You know, like 2005, 2008. Or were you when in- you were watching wrestling, BB? What were- the fuck? Yeah, isn't that kind of late? That's so late. What were you doing, mate? He's, I think he's the same age as me. We're raw as war. Attitude era. We've got, we had the puppies. We had blood. And he's watching wrestling in 2005 when there's no titties, there's no blood. What? Yeah, that's When was China? Was China before? Was China. Like... China was my era. She's the attitude era. By like 2005, her clit looked like a small dick and X Pac was <laughs> sucking on it in pornos. <laughs> 2010s where I really was into WWE. 
2010. He's used to being in it. He's still got hair. It's, it's a fucking good movie. He's like a late bloomer, this guy. I'm telling John Steele about this. 2010? I can't even name a wrestler from do that. Was Batista 2010? I think he was still in it by then. And obviously wrestlers like Jericho were in and out. Undertaker still. Undertaker hadn't retired. When did Mankind Kurt retire? Angle. Mick Foley. I think Mick Foley was still in and out by then. He would sometimes do in it. But he's definitely retired by now. Oh, that's a fun one. Anyway, just want to call in and talk about that. Great movie. Uh, time to watch the next three plus sports. You guys take it easy. Bye. What? There's There are Bloodsport sequels? There's like seven of them. What? With Van Damme? No, Van Damme noped out after the first one. Oh, okay. I'd never even heard of any Bloodsport sequels. Buffalo Bill, what you should watch is the film that we declared the winner of the Jean-Claude Van Damme Goddamn special, if you've listened to that. And again, that's on the patrons. You have to find out. I already forgot find. which one. <laughs> it's the one with my guy, with uh, my with my dream husband, Gomez. That film. Oh, well, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That one's all right, I guess. Bloodsport's my favorite. It's a, that's a good movie. You know what? You, you know what movie I want to watch again. I haven't seen in a long time, but I do remember thoroughly enjoying it in the theater. It was Kung Fu Hustle. I didn't like that? Kung Fu Hustle. Oh, it's so I just good. thought it was too like American cheesy, obvious humor. No, it's good. I think you should watch it again. It's a really good. It's it's directed by a Korean guy, I think, or Chinese, Stephen Chow. Um, I did, yeah, I just couldn't get into it. It's Maybe not American. I'll try again. It's not an American film. It's it's a weird. It's a weird movie. And it's just done like it's got. It's definitely an atypical kung fu movie, and the effects are amazing. So, one with the dinosaur in it. I don't think there's a dinosaur in that one. What am I thinking of then? There's the other kung fu movie where he fights a dinosaur. It was like huge on YouTube. I don't know. We all know what the best kung fu movie is, and that's Big Trouble in Little China. Yeah, I was about to say Big Trouble in Little any, China is an amazing. Anyone say film. anything else? It's a good movie, but Bloodsport is a damn good film. Anyway, thank you, uh, BB. Good to hear from you. I uh, hope yeah. you enjoyed blood sports. The next three blood sports. I would like to know uh, how those are. Anyway, people call the cigar hotline 323-522-4032. Um, if you haven't already joined up or at least checked out the Patreon, just sampled the Patreon, you're going to find out that we do an entire second show. It's like we do our own kind of uncensored, saucy Sick and Wrong second show on uh, on Patreon. And it's only five bucks, literally. Five bucks a month. Not even five bucks a week. It's like five bucks a month, which is kind of nothing. You get the uh, Sick and Wrong second show. Uh, this week, um, we we're discussing uh, my upcoming colonoscopy, which I'm really stoked about. Um, that's going to be happening soon. I'm an old man, and I, I have to have something shoved up my ass. I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, Kay Rambo was hoping she could be in the room to watch it for some reason. Anyway, we talk about that. Uh, we also talk about my new favorite show on HBO. It's called How To with John Wilson. Um, great. It's a great show. You got to go check it out. It's yeah, kind of a good. docu-series. Uh, my favorite episode is How to Cover Your Chairs in Plastic. I think it's like the third episode of season one. But he yeah. interviews the, the foreskin guy, the TLC Tugger guy that I interviewed like... 10 years ago it's great it's it's really doesn't funny. look like how i thought he'd look um we also talked about uh joe kelly was here last week and we went to the rainbow 
and I almost managed to hook Joe up with the gremlin slut from Gremlin 2. Do you remember that from Gremlins 2, that female gremlin? There was oh, a yeah. woman there, had to have been in their like, mid to late 60s, looked just like her, and I almost hooked Joe up with her. But anyway, that's the type of thing we get into on the second show. It's a bit different than the main show. It's a lot less professional, if you can imagine that. Uh, and a bit more personal, but for five bucks a month, you get a, you get the uh, access to the second show, and for a few bucks more, you get our sick and wrong news segment. Uh, this week, we talk about Elon Musk being denied entry to a sex club in Berlin, um, and a company offering fifteen pounds to watch porn from home. Dream job, and also a new study that uh, people don't like the term vegan, apparently. Duh. So, um, yeah, that's on the, uh, the, the the Sick and Wrong News. And then uh, Sick and Wrong Overkill, which is a bonus. Um, uh, Kate Rambo debuts her new killer cooking series, which uh, Kate cooks up the favorite foods of serial killers. So this week, uh, who'd you do? You did, uh, was it Ian uh, Brady? Ian Brady and Myra Hindley. Yeah, and it's a video. And so she filmed the first one, the, the first installment of Killer Cooking. Oh my God, it's amateur as fuck. Please nobody at me. Like I am not a video editor. I, I'm, ju- I'm just trying. We're all just trying in this world. It's pretty good though. Eh? It's pretty good. So go check it out. Patreon.com slash sick and wrong. Sign up today. Support your favorite podcast. Support the show. It really does keep us going. We appreciate it. Uh, also, if you want to get some, t- some uh, sick and wrong merch, you should check out the T Public store. We've got a sick and wrong T Public store. We're selling all sorts of merch. I'm planning to put up some new shirts very soon. In the near future, when I get some time to to design them, uh, just go to stickaroundpodcast.com slash shop. Click on the picture of the Pope, and uh, buy yourself some merch. Finally, here, Stickarong song of the week. I was reading that John Hinckley Jr., the man who attempted to uh, to murder, to assassinate uh, President Ronald Reagan, booked a concert in Brooklyn. Hinkley. This is so weird. Yeah. yeah, it's so surreal. Hinkley and special guests will play a show this summer in July at Brooklyn's Market Hotel. So John Hinkley Jr., who was just recently paroled, he just recently was released in the custody in 2016. He was after spending 34 years under institutional psychiatric care. Hinkley was released into the custody of his mother. And this is to I. This will be a sellout. Because people like me, the lucky lose, would totally go to this. Well, in that time, he's pursued an interest in music. He released more than three dozen videos to YouTube, including originals and covers of uh, Bob Dylan, Elvis Presley, Joni Mitchell. And at one point, he was trying to even ask the court to see if he could move to L.A. so he could pursue a career in the music industry. They denied him. Um, (laughs) But this summer, he announced his first ever public gig. It'll take place July 8th at Brooklyn's Market Hotel, and uh, there will be some special guests there. I'm not sure who's going to be there, but tickets are only $20. Oh, my, I, I want to go. Oh, I would totally I'm go. going. Yeah, I would totally go. Anyway, um, Hinkley tweeted out that the shows this summer are going to be just me and my guitar singing my songs. So I was trying to find a song because I was like, what does this guy sound like? And uh, I was hoping to find one about Jodie Foster, uh, but I couldn't find one about her. But instead, I found this other one that's actually not a bad song. I got to say, it's very indie folk. Um, Here's one of his original songs called I Was Down and Out by John Hinckley Jr. 
Anyway, people will be back next week with episode 839. Till then, take it sleazy. Hello, everybody. This is going to be another original song of mine. I think I have about 12 songs on the channel now, and you might want to check them out. could get your hand around the majority of it yeah i guess maybe you could but i mean it seems like it's a thicker base would you just jerk off the tip like what technique would you use i mean you're you're pretty good at this we're very I just seasoned use that. the traditional would you be tempted to blow it <laughs> no but i would be very intrigued by what the cum tastes like wouldn't you would you let it come in your face or on your tits 
well, why would I have my tits out? But if it came on my face, I think that would be an occupational hazard. If you got in your eyes? If it went in my eyes, yeah. No, but I mean, wouldn't you want to... Okay, would you let it come in your mouth? Wouldn't you let it come in your mouth? That's what you're going to ask. Well, no, because then I'd be blowing it. No, I'm saying jerk it off and then just like... as you feel <laughs> Put it my mouth come. over it. Yeah, as you feel it about to come. I wonder what a dolphin feels like when it's about to come. Do you think it's going, like, making all those bradge noises? What, like, uh, coming noises? Yeah, but like, ah, 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 ah,